Welcome to Issue 9 of Shortbox Summary. I'm your host, George. Today, we've got such a special episode. We've got some familiar voices joining. I am so excited. I know they love video games. I talk about video games with them weekly on the Frameskip podcast, but I managed to convince my two very good friends, Elijah and Austin, to come in and talk about comics. Let's start with Elijah, local lizard man himself. How you doing, bud? I'm doing pretty great. How about yourself? I am doing fantastic. Uh, it's about to snow. We're expecting, I think, four to eight inches tomorrow. Same. Well, not quite four to eight, but I want to say it's like two to four. Okay. God, I wish it were two to four. That'd be so much easier to shovel. My favorite scope in Apex Legends. Shovel or? Two to four. Two, two to four. Gotcha. Okay. Like a good like a good ACOG, right? Yeah. Yeah. Also joining us, just quiet as a mouse, Austin Jeller. Austin, how are you doing? I'm doing great, George, and it is not going to snow here because I live in Georgia, so that's where want, I'm at. We don't want the town to go under. Yeah, it could be, <laughs> there could be a dusting, and then that'll shut everything down. Yeah, snowmageddon. Snowmageddon part two. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you guys, we met at, um, at a PAX East in 2014. And that was the year of Snowpocalypse. Yeah. That was like the worst snowfall I've ever seen in my entire life. Like there were mounds of snow in Boston that didn't melt until like July. Yeah. I remember wow. riding the shuttle from the hotel to the convention center. And you literally, all you could see out the windows were just snow. Because it the piles of snow were higher than the buses themselves. Yeah. I was trying to move out of Boston and I had to like wait four extra days because it took me like three days to shovel my car out it was incredible i've never seen anything like that also that was the year the patriots beat the seahawks in the super bowl so i mean you take the good you take the bad and there you have the 2014 what can you do true but guys we're not here to talk about snow we're not here to talk about new girl even though god i wish we could we were talking about that before we hit record we're here to talk about the Young Avengers. I asked you two to read a book I thought you'd like. It's called The Young Avengers. Came out in 2005. It was written by Alan Heimberg and drawn by Jim Chung. What did you guys think of The Young Avengers? Honestly, I loved it. It was yeah. so much better than I expected. And for people who are listening, don't know me very well, I enjoy comic stuff, but I'm not super into it. In fact, originally, it was kind of a push to have me read this because I'm like, you know, just the Avengers themselves don't really do anything for me. But Austin and George were, were both like, no, like it, they are different from the actual Avengers. Like it, they are a much younger crew. They are very, very different. I'm like, all right, you have my attention. Plus, you've got my girl, Kate Bishop, in there. Absolutely love her. So, woo. Yeah, they do some really cool stuff, and and especially this first six issues, I think they they do a great job. And I know we'll talk about it of of kind of pointing you one direction and, and completely just kind of turning the tables on you as far as what you're expecting. Um, just for context, for me, my my kind of reading experience, this is actually probably, if I had to guess, my third time reading at this point. Um, I read it for the first time, George, probably what like seven eight months ago. I think was when you recommended it to me, something like that. Yeah, as and, soon as as soon as uh, Cap and Winter Soldier, or Falcon and Winter Soldier, yeah. and WandaVision came out, I was like, "Oh, you guys right. like those shows, huh? You should probably check out this book. It's it's, yeah. it's a cool book." 
Right. So I had first read it earlier in 2021 and um, loved it. Absolutely loved it. I, I kind of read through that and, and House of M and, and kind of the events surrounding that entire thing and um, reread it again over the summer because I loved it so much. And, and again, reread, at least for this specific episode of the show, reread the first six issues. And it's honestly like I am not like a huge comic book person. I, I'm trying to be. Um, but growing up, comic books, aside from like Fantastic Four, which I had like the monthly subscription for like most of my childhood for Fantastic Four and some of the Thor Hell books. Yeah. And that is um, awesome. I yeah. I never had, was that from Marvel or was that like at a comic yeah. book store? Yeah, it was from Marvel. I, I've never done me. a direct from Marvel. I'm jealous. Yeah. That's really cool. So uh, most of my childhood, I, I read the majority of those Fantastic Four uh, comics that came out between 2000 and 2010. Um, but anyway, point being aside from that, I, I really don't have too much comic experience. And so reading this for me, like kind of solidified what a great comic should be, um, I guess is, is how I would put it. I, I adore young Avengers. I think it's a, a fantastic series. That's good to hear. Uh, Austin share a little bit about his story. Elijah, were you like a big comic book kid growing up? Like when you were younger, when I was younger, I, sporadically had a couple here and there but it was never something that really got me then i want to say it was 2015 16 i went to a comic book store for the first time in over a decade easily to grab the first issue of the tomb raider comic that was coming out and while i was there i was like oh i you know, this Harley Quinn series sounds really cool. And then it just spiraled from there. And I just got super big into comics for a while. And then I'm not going to say I dropped out of comics because I still love them. I just do not read them even remotely as much as I want to. Gotcha. It's tough, man. Cause like, I know you love video games. I know you love anime. I know you love manga. I love all those things too, but there's only 24 hours in, in a day. Exactly. Unfortunately. Exactly. Oh man. All right. I am enamored with it, with this book. And uh, as you can tell, my dog goose is also by that hefty yawn. She just gave out. This book means a lot to me. When I first started going to the comic book store, this was like one of the first like number ones I found. And so I, you know, I love cap cap is probably like my favorite hero of all time. However, these felt like my Avengers, you know, like these were the ones like they were around my age when I was like reading the book. And so because of that, I felt like I got a ground floor entrance in, into the Marvel universe. And this book just means so, so much to me. All right. Without further ado, let's yeah. jump into it. Let's cover the first issue is a lot of exposition. And then the third and fourth issue were a lot of exposition. So let's jump into it. Let's catch everyone up to speed on what happened in Young Avengers from 2005, issues one through six. Starting with issue one. God damn it, Goose. God, I love you so much, Goose. <sighs> issue one opens with a front page picture of a Daily Bugle issue with four teenage characters rescuing tenants from a burning building. J. Jonah Jameson, in his usual tone of voice, you know, screaming, yells, who the fuck are the Young Avengers? He's questioning Jessica Jones, who's the Daily, who's the Daily Bugle's liaison for the superhero community. In Jonah's own words, quote, witnesses claim Thor Jr. had lightning powers, Iron Kid's armor was more advanced than Iron Man's, that uh, Teen Hulk was very polite, and that Lieutenant America was extremely bossy. 
Now, Jameson wants to find out exactly who the Young Avengers are. When Kat Farrell, the author of the piece, who's also in the room, admits they never called themselves that, she did. Jessica points out that he's not dressed as Captain America, but Bucky. Kat Farrell announces she doesn't know who that is. Jonah gets mad at her for being so young, and she gets mad at Jonah for being so old. Jonah admits that when he was younger, he wanted to be Bucky. Quote, every kid did, until Captain America led a 14-year-old boy behind enemy lines and got him killed. Suddenly, I didn't want to be Bucky anymore. Nobody did. From then on, kid sidekicks only showed up in comic books. Also, I, uh, I'm without my partner tonight. The, uh, she normally watches the dogs while, uh, while I record. She's visiting family in Pennsylvania, so it's just me and the dogs. And uh, I'm not very good at audio editing, so you're going to have to deal with these dog yawns in the background as I try to scratch her ear while read a script and talk to my friends. So thank you, listeners, for your patience. I appreciate yeah. it. All the dog lovers out there, you'll, you'll, you'll get over it. Oh, my God, yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, she's yawning. I'm scratching her ear to perfection. Everyone's happy. Jessica reminds everyone that these aren't Avengers sidekicks. The Avengers disbanded because this event happens after Avengers disassembled. And Jonah goes full conspiracy asking how we don't know the Avengers are operating in secret and using these kids in a, some sort of publicity stunt. This is like something we talked about on the Pulse. Jonah is just very skeptical of the superhero community at large and uh, doesn't trust them, especially that damn Spider-Man. Uh, <clears throat> Jess shoots down his suggestion and says that she knows Captain America and he would never put another kid's life in danger after Bucky. Kat is impressed that she knows Cap and then brings up Jess' own past as an Avenger and Jessica reminds everyone how completely uninterested she is in being a hero, but because of her past, she's tasked with helping Cat track these kids down and getting the scoop on them. Jessica tries to ditch Cap because she'll be talking to people with secret identities and she's afraid she'll be embarrassed when the kids don't know who the fuck she is. They're both astonished that Jameson wanted to be a hero. Kat paints a pretty picture about being a superhero, and Jessica admits that she wanted to be Spider-Man, and Kat, in a really heartfelt moment, admits that she wanted to be Jewel, the alias that Jessica Jones operated under. Kat is helping Jess work through her next steps to track down the kids when Iron Man and Cap show up. Iron Man is flying, holding Cap like a prom date, and asks if they'll talk to Jess in private, and they all fly off together. I, I, I got a kick out of this and actually like laughed out loud, reading it where Jessica says, so how did you find me? And I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was Cap or Iron Man says, we have our ways. You asked my boyfriend, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, we talked about this in the false. Her boyfriend is Luke Cage, a hero for hire. And um, I think this overlaps where the new Avengers had technically started. They'd already been on their first adventure down to the Savage Land. That was issue six of Short Box Summary where we cover that. And yeah, man, we're so smart. We're the, the, we're the GD Avengers. We can do anything, especially text your boyfriend to get, to, to get, to get your 411. Talking on the roof, nobody knows anything about these kids, and Cap makes a point to shut them down before any of them get hurt or worse. Jessica seems to be the only one who's actually met a teenager and is unsure how to get them to hang up their tights. When all of a sudden we cut to the heart of downtown Manhattan, uh, Midtown, in a hostage situation is developing at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Five dudes in tuxedos pulled out guns and are robbing the entire wedding, holding them hostage. This seems like the worst robbery ever. Like, why would you rob yeah. a wedding? Seriously, of all things, it's like, okay, why not like a bank or... or... <laughs> like, I afterwards, I get it because you find out a little more about it. But at first, I'm like, it's a wedding. But then when you realize that everybody there is super rich... 
Yeah, but also if you're at a super rich person's wedding, it's like they won't have like a cash bar and there won't be a cash bar at St. Patrick's Cathedral where the ceremony is. You know what no, I mean? No, like, but there will be uh, diamonds and different okay. uh, right. like necklaces and such. Cash is traceable. Necklaces, l- probably a little less so. Necklaces still, are still... wearable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we love wearable tech. It's still weak as hell. I, I don't love that for a... Those criminals are getting out of there fully blinged out. That's all we know. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, you know that scene in every heist movie where it's like a bunch of people around a chalkboard? They could have spent a little bit more time on the chalkboard. That's my <laughs> point here. Uh, let's see. This is the first time we meet Kate Bishop, a member of the bridal party who suggests the 200 people at the wedding could take out the five gunmen when all of a sudden the Young Avengers crash through a stained glass window in a nice montage showing all their different powers and skills, they disarm the gunman, and there's a nice little moment rife with sexual tension between Little Hulk and Little Thor. And oh shit, Little Thor's lightning accidentally started a fire. And then, turns out they actually missed a gunman, and all of a sudden the young Avengers are on the ropes. Kate from the bridal party goes reaching for a gun when she's taken hostage and used to negotiate safe passage uh, for the gunman to get out. Little Iron Man tries to reason that they're out of their depth, and the Felicia take over when Kate stabs a gunman holding her hostage in the thigh. She didn't grab a gun. She grabbed one of Bucky's throwing stars. One of baby Bucky's throwing stars. Look at her. She doesn't need yep. a gun. She's a yeah. hero, damn it. Stab him. I will say, I like how it started show, like showing her personality right away with, we can take him. Yeah. Like, it showed her, like, gung-ho spirit. And I, I like that as, you know, I haven't known too much about Kate too long now but i really like how this started with her and i didn't even realize that was her at first i just thought it was yeah hate yeah her costume design in, in this book is is really interesting i think it's a little different than what you'll see of her in later runs like especially in like the 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 hawkeye series that came shortly after and um but i i love her her costume design yeah, it's uh, it's pretty special, and God, that's like another thing. Well, we'll talk about that at the end of the podcast because th- this book is is really important, and I can't wait to get into it. Uh, but she stabs this little this little wedding robber because she's a badass. That turns the tide, and the Young Avengers and Kate manage to subdue the gunman. Kate and Baby Bucky are arguing over who gets the credit for the rescue, and there's some sexual tension in their bickering too. Teenagers, man, horny as shit. What can you do? With the incident all wrapped up, the kids are trying to bounce from the scene. As they're leaving, we finally get their names as Guardian, Hulkling, Iron Lad, and the Patriot. Cat tries to interview them. She's shot down. When Jess approaches them, Hulkling and Asgardian are basically hyperventilating that the Jewel wants them to call her. The kids get away to Avengers Mansion, and it's pure chaos. They're arguing with each other about how poorly that went. Iron Lad says... Quote, look, if we can't take down five guys with guns, what chance will we have when the real enemy shows up? When he does, he'll stop at nothing to get what he wants. That's why they call him Kang the Conqueror. Patriot bounces because he's got curfew, and the three remaining heroes are freaking out about how screwed they are. As Guardian and Hulkling leave, an Iron Lad goes into Avengers Mansion, where he's met by Cap, Iron Man, and Jessica Jones. Iron Man and Cap start grilling the kid, and Jessica is once again the only normal fucking person in the room, talking to Iron Lad like he's an actual human. Iron Man admits how impressed he is with Iron Lad's armor, thinking it's 10 years too advanced. Iron Lad says it's neurokinetic and more like a thousand years too advanced. He removes his helmet and he admits that he is a teenage version of Kang the Conqueror. And that's the first issue. What a banger ending, right? 
I didn't see that coming. Oh, it's so good. No, and I didn't see it coming the first time I read it either. I was like, oh, what is this? Some some rich kid in his little suit, and uh, no, it's actually it's actually a major problem. <laughs> uh, it's actually uh, baby Hitler. It's, would, would, yeah, it's yeah. Really asking like if you could go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby, would you do it? It's like I don't know. Would you do it as a teenager? Because that's exactly the fucking situation we're in. Yeah, right now. exactly. Yeah. Can I um, can I ask Elijah a question? Elijah, I want to know what did you think when they they started giving off their their code names? I was like. <laughs> Really? That's a little too <laughs> on the nose. Come on. I but I knew something was going to change with it. Because oh yeah. yeah. It it just felt it felt <laughs> like it was being too self-aware and it knew it. Oh, exactly. So there was going to be something. Exactly. It's a it's a total misdirection on purpose and I I I love it. It's fantastic. It's great too because like in the 60s and 70s, there was this book called Legion of Superheroes. And that book takes place a thousand years in the future. But there's so many heroes in that book named like Matter Eater Lad or Pharaoh Lad. You know, it's just like Lad is just like instead of like Iron Man or whatever, you know, just they, they have that as like a suffix. And so it sounds like it's such like a nod to like that book that took place in the future. But like it's so campy by today's standards that it doesn't it, you can't help but feel like it's dated, you know, just by using the word Lad. And it's just so hilarious. We're like. Oh man, yeah. I wonder who that's going to be with a name Lad. It's like, oh, it's some, it's got to be some old reference with a name like Lad. It's like, no, actually, it's, it's the t- ten thousand years in the future. It's fucking Kang. We're fucked. We're so fucked. Also, you guys, you don't swear on uh, Framescape. You can you can swear a little on this. Just be that's se- all right. Be selective. That's all right. Fair. Okay. <laughs> all right. Jump <laughs> jumping into issue two. Uh, we open in a hospital where Kate's dad is freaking out about Kate after the hostage incident, but she assures him that and the nurse that she's fine. All anyone wants to talk about is the young Avengers. Kate's dad is still freaking out, and an uncomfortable Kate goes outside to be alone when she's confronted by Cassie Lang, the most recent Ant-Man's daughter. Scott Lang, he died in Avengers Disassembled, as talked about in uh, issue two of Shortbox Summary. She's looking for the young Avengers and wants to join them. Kate tags along and they head towards the mansion together. Cap, Iron Man, and Jessica are talking to Iron Lad, who admits to running away from the 30th century because when he was being bullied one day, Kang from the future comes in, rescues him, and shows him his entire future, giving this kid, um, his kid self, sorry, giving his kid self a version of his hyper-advanced armor. Old Kang points to the bully and says, when I was your age, the animal behind me slipped my throat with the point of his anti-grav, uh, anti-grav knife. Jeez. I nearly died. I spent a year of my life in the hospital and almost bankrupted my parents. But he's not going to do that to you because you're going to kill him. Young Kang didn't want to do that, didn't want to murder someone. So he used the armor to go back in time and find the only group that ever stopped Kang, the Avengers. When he showed up, the Avengers were disbanded. He tried to get in touch with them, but was shot down. He broke into Stark Industries and found the remains of the Vision, who he was able to resurrect as a hologram. He's desperate for help when Future Kang comes back. As Guardian and Hulkling debate whether they're ready to fight Kang, and they agree they need Patriot, and they're arguing in his favor as a good dude who's only stubborn, when in the background at that literal moment, an H3 Hummer drives by with Patriot on the hood, trying to stop some carjackers. Patriot gets shot, Hulkling gets stabbed, but they stop the car thieves, and it's a reality check for them that they may not be ready to handle Kang, because they're obviously fucking not. They just got shot down by the douchiest car of the early 2000s. 
Cassie and Kate manage to sneak into Avengers Mansion right when Patriot as Guardian and Hulkling get back. There's some arguing between Patriot and Kate, and a hush falls over the group when they realize Cassie is Ant-Man's daughter. They both want to join. Patriot shoots them down because they don't have powers and immediately condescends them, saying they're too young. Cassie wants to grab her dad's old gear, but Patriot doesn't want her on the team, so he puts a hand on her shoulder, and she fucking rolls the dude, explaining that she's been kidnapped so many times that she took self-defense courses and can hold her own. She goes off on Patriot, screaming, I'm not going anywhere. My father was an Avenger. This was his home, and one week in a month it was mine too. Now he's dead, and all I have left of him is inside the mansion, so I don't care who you are or what powers you have, I'm not leaving without it. During her completely justified teardown of Patriot, Cassie grew a lot. She's towering over the other young Avengers by like a factor of four. And that was issue two. Yeah. I love that. I, I just love that whole section. And when Patriot mentions they're too young, I, I just loved Cassie's response. I am 15 next month. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I, I love the way that they do this because, you know, you're you're expecting her to go in and get the gear or whatever it is. And that's what, you know, causes her to to shrink or grow or whatever it may be. And, and no, it turns out she doesn't need any of that. And yeah. she can she can be badass herself. So that's yeah, the awesome. real power was yeah. inside her all along. Yeah. The friend she is about to make along the way. Exactly. Whew. All right. Issue three is a long one. Let's do this. Iron Man, Cap, and Jess are still talking to Iron Lad in complete disbelief that he saved Vision. He explains that he downloaded the Vision's operating system into his armor when they hear a crash outside and rush to see if it's Kang. It was Cassie who passed out after going giant. Cassie retires to her father's room and Cap meets the full Young Avengers team. Everyone is excited to meet him except for an incredulous patriot. Iron Lad reveals that his team is very specifically put together because of the Avengers failsafe program a system from Vision's Remains. Quote, a program designed so that if anything should happen to the Avengers, if they were destroyed or disbanded, then the Vision would be able to pinpoint the exact locations of the next wave of, well, young Avengers. It seems each of us has some significant tie to Avengers history. Cap had no idea about any of this, and the kids don't understand their connection to the Avengers, and they're hoping Cap can fill them in. Kate and Patriot start arguing again, and Kate drops a dagger when she says, says why can't you be more like him? pointing to Cap, and she leaves so uh, they can reveal their secret identities to the adult heroes. As Guardian reveals himself as Billy Kaplan, Hulkling reveals himself as Teddy Altman, and Cap's got nothing. He has no idea who these two people are. Captain America asks Patriot why he has to dress like Bucky, and if he's personally responsible for Patriot's origin. He says he wears a quote out of respect for the first Captain America, the real Captain America, Isaiah Bradley, his grandfather. What? So that was like a retroactive story that came out. And I want to say 2003 is called Captain America, Red, White and Black. And it was talking about experiments that were performed on black servicemen around World War II, trying to create the world's first super soldier. And um, it closely resembles like the Tuskegee experiments that happened in World War II, which is, I mean, I'm pretty sure a war crime. We talk about war crimes a lot on this podcast. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, we feel well, that's like a, calling that's it how a, we see it. That's like a theory, though, or like not a theory, but that's like a trend. And I feel like this this early to mid 2000s range of, of Marvel comics, yeah. honestly. It's so weird that right after we invaded Iraq, a lot of art reflected war crimes. It's uh, who, who's huh. to say where who that came thought? from, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, all right. 
Uh, it's a yeah. It's all about black test subjects for Project Rebirth, the program that would produce Captain America. All the experiments failed, resulting in death, except for Isaiah. Iron Man and Cassie are upstairs, and she finds one of her dad's old suits, but can't find a helmet because Tony threw it in storage. Tony doesn't want her playing hero, and he reveals that her dad didn't die in an accident. He was murdered, and that it was all Tony's fault, saying, The scale of our missions and the team itself became so huge that we got lost in it. We were so busy taking care of the world, we forgot to take care of each other. And the mistakes we made, the betrayals and resentments, they all came back to haunt us when the Scarlet Witch lost control of her powers and murdered Vision, Hawkeye, and your father. To punish us for our sins, my sins. That's why I disbanded the Avengers. And that's why I'm begging you, please, when you get home tonight, take off the uniform and put it away. I've already lost your dad. I don't want to lose you too. Cap is trying to understand how Patriot has powers, considering his mom was born before Isaiah got the super soldier serum. And we learned that as a kid, Eli Bradley got into a fight, lost a lot of blood, and his grandfather was the only match. Just then, the growing man, an android agent of Kang, comes crashing into the room looking for Iron Lad. Hulkling punches him, and instead of growing like he normally does, you know, he's the growing man, he splits into a dozen smaller growing men. Iron Lad suggests the Asgardian use his other power, which subdues the growing men. And once Iron Lad reveals that he's young Kang, they signal to adult slash evil Kang that they've found who they were looking for. The heroes need to prepare for Kang's arrival, so they tell the young Avengers that they'll do some quick training. But instead, the heroes lock the young Avengers in a room for their own protection. They're figuring out how to get these kids home safe to their parents when all of a sudden, actual future super mega evil Kang shows up. That was issue three. Love it. One thing I really enjoyed was I had heard about Kang, you know, all through my life from different people who read comic books or from books that I'd read or that. It was nice to actually learn a little more about Kang and find out why he was this evil person, like what he was. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. This was honestly, I guess it's probably the same for you, Elijah. This was kind of my first introduction to Kang. So mm-hmm. I had I had never really read anything with Kang in it before or seen Kang, um, aside from pictures online or whatever. I'd never seen him, you know, in a, in a comic I was reading. And so, no, I, I this whole series to me is a great int- intro to to who Kang is and, and, and a, a good kind of testament to, you know, how he became... The person he is, like you said, Elijah, I think there's a lot of great stuff, a lot of great character development with King. And mm-hmm. um, he, he's one of those characters where I still need to expand on my knowledge a little bit with him. I need to kind of kind of go and, and read some some more um, series that include him in it. But no, I, I think it's a great intro for for his character. So and, and a fantastic ending in this in this oh, yeah. uh, issue. Loved it. I, I also loved and I know uh, George talked about the issue what do you say it was called red white and black the yeah, with isaiah bradley truth truth red. red white and black yeah okay um it was really neat because you know me not knowing anything about that but me right away reading that and remembering from uh falcon winter soldier yeah and i'm and i'm like it's isaiah and like remember and liking how they had like incorporated him into the show mm-hmm. and i just thought that was really neat yeah, this was referencing like at the time a relatively new story, but like as as more time goes on in in the Marvel Comics universe and the MCU, just so much more weight is added to everything through retroactive storytelling, which I think is rad and one of the things I love most about comics. 
I was so compelled by Kang. I just think he's like a cool ass character. I think time travel is just like an awesome concept. And I love how everyone tries to explain it their own way. Just like give like a little twist of it. And so I was enthralled with Kang and new Avengers was coming up. There's only one issue a month. And so I would go to the comic book store and there wouldn't always be like a, a new Avengers issue. So I started looking through back issue bins and I found the previous volume of Avengers, the one that eventually ended with Avengers disassembled. And that is like one of the most revered runs of all time. It was Kurt Busiek who was writing and then George Perez who was drawing. And it's just like one of the most classic Avengers runs of all time. And to sort of celebrate the end of his run, he told like an 18 arc Kang story. That's like one of the craziest, weirdest, most nutso things I've ever read. So what it, cl- cl- clarify me, how do I read this? Cause now I'm, I'm curious. This is the previous run that ended with disassembled. So this is like what early two thousands. Yeah. It started in 1998. It was called heroes return. Okay. And it was right after like a whole bunch of bad decisions. And they decided like, okay, we're going to do classic stories featuring classic characters. And it started in 1998 and it ran through 2004. It was Kurt Busiek who is like a majority writer. And then after that, it was actually Jeff Johns, who's better known for his time at DC and like Green Lantern writer and did Blackest Night and Doomsday Clock and all these like big events. And then there was a writer named Chuck Astin, who we don't have to talk about his run. And then Brian (laughs) Michael Bendis came on, did Disassembled, and then kicked things off with New Avengers. But it was just like this mega epic where like it went on so long, I forgot like just like B plots all of a sudden became really important. I forgot that there was like this overarching like a plot with Kang and it, uh, it's incredible. It's, it's one of the most epic stories. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll get you the issue numbers after, but that was how like compelling I found Kang. I was like, okay, I'm going to read this 18 issue story, which like, you know, to me, it was like nuts. It's like, Oh, that's just a year and a half of things. All right. Uh, moving on to issue four, Kang immediately subdues Iron Man, Captain America and Jessica Jones. He's looking at his younger self and he is pissed. Some of the kids still think that Cap and Iron Man are coming back to train them and Patriot correctly bursts their bubble and reminds them how fucked they are and that Cap and them are probably calling the cops or worse, their parents. They struggle to get out of the locked room they're in. Patriot suggests that Hulkling uses a super strength. Hulkling suggests that Patriot uses his super strength. And finally, they turn to Asgardian and ask him to use his, quote, other powers. The girls are mystified by what they mean. Asgardian just says, quote, it's complicated and shrugs it off. All of a sudden, Kate appears when everyone thought she left, and she reveals that she saw the adult Avengers type in the code to open the door, and she'll be able to get them out. She also tells them that the adult Avengers won't be back anytime soon because they're busy dealing with Kang outside. Kang is trying to convince the adults to turn over teenage Kang and threatens to kill Jessica. Jess swiftly reminds him not to mess with a pregnant woman, especially one with superpowers, and kicks Kang's gun out of his hand and holds him at gunpoint. With the upper hand, the adult Avengers don't see why they need to return Teenage Kang since it all, all it means is they'll never have to deal with adult Kang. Um, and it's revealed that, quote, the downside is that reality as you know it will cease to exist. If I never become Kang the Conqueror, then the Avengers and I will have never met. If Avengers history changes, so must its present. Look around you. It's already changing. As long as the boy remains here, your lives, the lives of everyone you hold dear, will be altered irrevocably. And not, it would seem, for the better. Suddenly, New York is a bombed-out wasteland. The mansion disappears, and the Manhattan skyline is lopsided rubble. 
Now that they're free, the young Avengers are getting suited and geared up to fight Kang. Kate Bishop emerges with Hawkeye's bow and quiver, his lost wife, Mockingbird's mask, and the sword of the swordsman. After Patriot gives her shit, she gives him Captain America's original shield, the crested one with three stars from the 1940s. Back with adult Kang, the Avengers costumes have changed to reflect their new present. Even Jessica is dressed up as Jewel, but to her own worst fears, her baby bump is now gone too. She starts fucking up Kang when Cap concedes that they'll give back teenage Kang. The kids overhear this from a hidden position in the rubble and break off to talk amongst themselves. After seeing everything that changes and discussing how Iron Lad is Kang, Kate believes it might be the right thing to turn over their teenage friend. Iron Lad immediately uses Godwin's law logic on her and goes, quote, Kate, if you found out you were going to become Adolf Hitler, wouldn't you do everything in your power to make sure it never happens? They decide to stick together and do everything they can to protect Iron Lad. After navigating the tunnels under the mansion, they think they found the right hatch to get the jump on Kang. But when they open it, they're surrounded by the adult heroes who want him to go back. Cap tells him, quote, you've got no choice, son. Trust me, this is a fight you won't win. Iron Lad flies away after saying it was a mistake to think the Avengers would help him. Iron Man takes off after him and Hulkling tries to stop him when he's blasted and falls back down to Earth. Iron Lad pleads... Uh, sorry, pleads, arguing that if he goes back, quote, billions of people will die, and Iron Man is unmoved until Iron Lad blasts him out of the sky. He catches him before he crashes and returns him to the heroes below. Once back near Kang, Iron Lad's armor is hijacked and made to go Nova, knocking out most of the Avengers, young and old. Kang extends a hand to his younger self and tells him it's time to go home. Whew. One thing I loved, like absolutely loved about this was, sure, Kang the Conqueror is this bad guy, but he's not here to be this bad guy. He's just like, you do realize if this, if you don't do this, this is all going to change, right? He's not here to be the bad guy and kill people. He just wants to take him back so he can survive. Oh, it's the perfect motivation because like, oh yeah, it's it seems selfish as shit, and it is selfish as shit. But it's selfish as shit in a way that will mess up your lives if you exactly. don't help me be selfish as shit. You I found love, a loophole. It's amazing. I, I love plots like this because it's like, it's like if Back to the Future one involved like key people like in around the world, you know, like if if um, instead of Marty just disappearing, if it was like central people to to the world's history and yeah jfk um, yeah. right so <laughs> i love this plot and um the one thing i will say that i noticed you know kind of rereading this and elijah you won't know this yet so i'm not going to spoil the moment but there is something in this issue that alludes to something that happens later um in the in the following six episodes or six issues that i'm looking forward to to chatting about and and honestly i, I didn't really realize it was there and george i'm hoping you kind of got what it is it's around when they're in the imprisoned by by the avengers there's something that happens there and just just an interesting moment that is um very very interesting moving forward here's the deal i think we got elijah hooked on young avengers right i think you're a fan of it it's safe to say yeah all right so i think you guys are probably gonna come back for the next six issues and then there's a series of five one shots also that like highlight a different character so there's one for Patriot, there's one for Asgardian and Hulkling, there's one for Cassie. 
And those are all great. And they're actually done by different creative teams. So it's nice like to let other characters, other writers, sorry, other writers, other artists sort of play in the Young Avengers playground. That's neat. So we will uh, we'll be back in the future to talk about those as we approach those in the correct chronological timeline. That's secretly like the hardest part about this show is like I just want to talk about everything all at once. And it's just like impossible unless I release like a 19 hour podcast each week. But yeah, I, I'm I'm just a sucker for those stories where it's, you look at the bad guy and you're like, I mean, they're not wrong. Mm-hmm. So because I, I want to say it was the first season of Daredevil um, on Netflix where halfway through the series, I'm like, Wilson Fisk isn't trying to be a bad guy. He's just he legitimately thinks he's making the city better. So like. I'm conflicted and that's kind of where I'm like, I don't want to agree with Kang, but he's not wrong. Like he he's telling the truth for better or worse. And I just love that. They talk about, uh, I was a film major in college and they talk about this one moment. That's like the most, what I think it was Slavoj Zizek who was talking about it. He normally talks about like class and, and shit, but this time he was just talking straight up film. And, uh, they were talking, have you guys ever seen that movie psycho? I've never actually seen it. No, neither have I. All right, there, there's one scene where someone is like trying to dispose of a body of someone that we thought was like really important, and so drives their car out to like uh, like a lake or whatever, like a tar pit or something, and pushes the car into it, and so the car is like sinking, sinking, sinking. And then it stops all of a sudden, and you, as the audience member, think like, "Oh no." Like he's not going to be able to hide this body. And then like you realize like a switch that happens where all of a sudden you're rooting for the bad guy in this moment because it did such a good job of setting him up with like the reason for him doing it. And then like the potential of his failure. And then all of a sudden the car starts to sink. And you're like, oh, thank God. And you're like, oh, shit, what's wrong with me? What like what, what's up? What, why am I identifying with the, with the person disposing of this body? And it kind of feels like that, right? Where all of a sudden you're like, oh man, like I'm a kid, like Iron Lad, you seem like a nice kid and all, but you gotta go home, man. Exactly. This whole time, like, you gotta go. Don't you see what it's doing to the people around you? You have to go back. Yeah. Speaking of New Girl, it's like uh, when he tries to white fang Cece, right? <laughs> go! Get out of here! Get! Go on, get! Yeah. Issue 5. Kang creates a portal back to the future and lays down some mega guilt on Iron Lad. Quote, make no mistake, this is your handiwork. The moment you arrived here from the future, you endangered your friends and their world. But if you turn with me, I assure you, life here will be exactly as it was. There's no time for debate. The longer you and I occupy the same moment in time, the more unstable time itself becomes. The moment we step through this portal, all your friends will be just as they were before you arrived, and you'll remember nothing about them whatsoever. Just as they're about to go through, Cassie grows from microscopic size. She pushes Kang into the portal, and as she's about to get sucked through, Iron Lad saves her. Cassie kisses him, and then kisses him again, saying, quote, for luck. Which is a nice Star Wars nod, because that's what uh, Princess Leia says before she kisses her brother, swinging across the chasm. You know what? We didn't know at the time. It's fine. We didn't know at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Just like that, and like Joe Dirt. It's okay if you don't know. Cassie thinks they now have enough time to regroup, but Iron Lad shares that he intends to go back with Kang. I have to, he says. Look around. Everything's falling apart. The kids are fighting for him and suggest that since Kang can track his armor, that he takes it off. Kang reappears and holds an unconscious Captain America by the neck. 
He is done fucking around. Patriot tells them it's now or never, and everyone needs to use all their powers. Even the Asgardian needs to use his spellcasting, which doesn't seem to be as reliable as you'd hope. Gorgeous double-page spread here of the Young Avengers charging at Kang and letting loose. The art in this book is absolutely incredible. Jim Chung, an extremely talented artist. Kang almost blows Kate apart with his future guns and Patriot saves her life, giving them just enough time to be on top of each other and get a little flirty after four issues of busting each other's chops. Patriot suggests using Iron Lad's armor against Kang, but the risk is too great with Kang able to turn it into a bomb just by looking at it. So they leave it alone, but as they walk away, the centerpiece of the armor lights up. Hulkling gives Asgardian a pep talk and he starts chanting, I want to disable Kang's shield. The color and the font change, so as a reader, we take this that the spell is working. Kang manages to knock him down, but not before his shield is taken out. Kate grabs an arrow from her quiver and manages to land it right on Kang's trans-temporal belt, limiting the weapons he can call out of the time stream. With Kang weaponless, the kids think they have a chance, so Patriot charges and just gets his ass kicked. Kate tries to attack Kang too and is immediately disarmed. Turns out he's still pretty good at fighting even without guns from the 31st century. Just when Kang is about to slit Kate's throat with her own sword, an armorless Iron Lad shows up and says he'll go with Kang as long as he leaves her alone. He throws the sword down when Iron Lad shapeshifts into Hulkling and clocks Kang as hard as he can. You children don't seem to understand, Kang says. If I die, the world as you know it dies with me. So if anyone does any killing today, it's going to be me. He slashes Hulkling, and he's about to stab Asgardian when all of a sudden he's blasted from behind by a newly recreated vision born from Iron Lad's discarded armor. Kang manages to grab Vision and repurpose him to get his time-traveling hotness back. He pulls future guns out of time on the children when Captain America throws his shield in an effort to stop him, but he's shot down. Just as Kang is looking for his next target, he's stabbed in the back by his teenage self. And that was issue five. Who, doctor? That was a lot. What a cool final page, right? With you, just your teenage you killing future you, stabbing him with a giant ass sword the size of you. Incredible stuff. Like, you know it's going to be Iron Lad, but when it actually happens, you're like, well, and like it's interesting too, because reading this, like thinking about it now, it's like, man, what if Kang killing himself was like what made him become Kang? Because like that's kind of an awful situation to be in. So um, there's like some interesting implications of that. But yeah, I, I love that spread, and and like you said, there's there's some great art throughout the the series, but this book in particular, or this issue in particular, has several. Uh, great great action spreads and 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 great content and you know i'm one for the humor so i absolutely loved it after he breaks kang's shield it's like where when did you practice th- that i got it from one of my mom's self-help books yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a little little like woody allen-esque yeah it, it, billy, it, Ka- it, billy it, kaplan is it was just right in there at the right time where it was like it didn't detract from it too much but it gave you a little chuckle in the middle I'm like, all right, that was good. All right, issue six. Let's talk about a climax, boys. Sorry, phrasing. (laughs) Standing over Kang's dead body, the young Avengers think they've won. He was someone I might have become, but now Kang the Conqueror will never exist. The people he killed, the crimes he committed, they'll never happen. Cap and Jess and Iron Man will be 
And before Iron Lad can even finish his thought, the adult Avengers bodies fade away like in Back to the Future. Iron Lad thinks that this is the time stream repairing itself. And he seems right. Avengers Mansion is back. New York skyline looks fixed. But as they approach the mansion, they see tombstone after tombstone. This new present they've created by killing Kang and keeping Iron Lad in the past has resulted in the death of the Avengers. Everyone except for Scott Lang, who might be alive in this new version of now. Seeing the world the way it is now, Patriot stops asking Iron Lad to go back and instead begs him to go back. Cassie is heartbroken over the possibility that her dad might be alive when, as Guardian points out, if the Avengers are dead, anything is possible. Your dad might be, uh, might be alive, but he might never have met your mom, and you might never have been born, which means you could disappear from the time stream at any moment, Cass. According to the vision, Ted and I are also related to the Avengers somehow, so if they're gone, we could be too. And then you remember the Avengers, like the Vision Failsafe program, where they have such direct connections to the Avengers, but we still don't understand them whatsoever. And the danger seems super, super real. Everyone except Iron Lad and Cassie are dead set on sending him back to the future to repair the time stream. As they try to come up with a plan and make him forget so he won't try to fuck with the president anymore, a fight breaks out between the kids. As Guardian fades away and Hulkling loses it, he finally hulks out proper and goes for Iron Lad's throat, but before he gets there, fades from the time stream too. Seeing what's happening, Iron Lad collapses to his knees and asks, what have I done? Even Cassie, with tears in her eyes, asks him to go back now. Iron Lad asks Patriot to hold the armor, saying he can't bring something from even his future, otherwise the time stream will be affected too. So he asks them to hold onto it for him. He activates the vision program in his armor and asks to be sent back and gives a final order to take care of his friends while he's gone. Iron Lad apologizes for everything, knowing that the next time he sees them, he'll be Kang the Conqueror and their enemy, asking them for forgiveness now. Cassie assures him that they'll remind him who he really is and kisses him goodbye. He says, I just want you guys to know I love being a young Avenger before being sucked back into the proper time stream. The second he's gone, they're still in their young Avengers uniform, so they think it didn't work. But the mansion is just as destroyed as it used to be and has a glowing blue light. The kids run in to see Cap alive, Iron Man alive, Jess pregnant again, and as Guardian and Hulkling doing just fine. And Patriot tells them, quote, now it seems like everything that happened after Kang showed up never happened. Their ability to remember it is why I hate time travel, says Jessica. Cap wants to take the kids home, but they don't want their parents to know. Quote, in my opinion, you have more than proven yourselves heroes tonight, Cap says. But if you ever put those uniforms on again, Iron Man and I will do everything in our power to shut you down for good. The kids want to be trained, and Iron Man tells them they can't, not without their parents' consent, which they are more than welcome to get if they want. Before the kids leave, Cap tells them to leave all their gear, even the throwing stars that Patriot made for himself and didn't take from the Avengers. The kids take off, and Cap asks Jessica and Iron Man, we're doing the right thing, aren't we? Altogether, the kids think they found a loophole. That if Cap wouldn't train them, they'd train themselves. Hulkling says he didn't want to be a hero to make an enemy of Captain America, but because he wanted to help people. Kate says, do you have any idea how many people out there could use our help? We can't just stop because Captain America thinks we're too young. Kate insists they should keep going, but Hulkling and Asgardian are out, and it seems like the team is done. Several weeks later, the kids are meeting up in their, uh, in their civvy clothes, their civilian clothes, at the, uh, I think it's, uh, the the Central Arch in Central Park. I cannot remember what it's called, and it's driving me crazy. I don't remember. Yeah, I have no the, idea. The arch they go to in every single New York movie ever. 
<sighs> okay. They're trying to figure out how they can get back into the show. They argue that even if Cap and uh, them tell their parents, their parents won't believe them. And even if they did, they're super powered. What can they do to stop them? Cass and Kate are leading the charge, trying to get this off the ground, but the guys still seem skeptic. The girls tell them they have something to show them, and they go for a walk. Along the way, they decide to rebrand themselves. They realize that calling Billy an Asgardian isn't accurate, so they pitch him with a new name, Wiccan. Cass renames herself Stature, but they still can't land on a name for Kate. They get to their destination, the building that used to be Bishop Publishing, which Kate reveals is their new lair. Kate uses her dad's wealth and uh, her connections to the fashion industry to make new costumes for them. During a super well-executed dress montage, again, Jim Chung, I cannot stress how good he is at storytelling in sequential art. Uh, Cass brings up that even if they can't convince their parents this is a good thing, Cap and Iron Man will never sign off on this. Patriot says, quote, they're not going to approve, but since when has that ever stopped us? The kids emerge from their new secret lair and go on to take on new threats and protect the people of New York. And that is the final issue of the book of volume one of Young Avengers. And that was the story. What'd you guys think? I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, like you said, I'm hooked now. I'm, tomorrow I'll be reading the next issue because I, I'm not going to wait until we, we go to record the next I'm ready to read more. You know what? Maybe, maybe I need to start releasing two episodes a week. We'll see. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I love having the safety buffer of all these episodes. I'm like, but I just want to talk about stories. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. It, it's, it's the first six issues specifically are so good. And the thing is like, even though this is kind of the first arc, they leave so much hanging. Like, there's a lot, if you really think about it, as far as, like, I didn't really think about the fact that at, up until this point, you still don't really know Teddy and um, Billy's connections with the Avengers. Like, that's just not, you have no idea, mm -hmm. really. Um, so they they leave a lot of great stuff hanging. And um, I will say my, my favorite thing about um, this last issue, about issue six, is at the end when they're talking about, like, Hey, are they going to, are they going to do anything if we, if we continue being superheroes and Kate's just kind of like, I forget the exact quote, but something about, yeah, we, you guys have superpowers and I can talk my way out of anything. So we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right, Kate. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. So one reason this book was incredibly significant for Marvel was because while DC had a new gener generation of heroes, Marvel didn't. DC had the Teen Titans, right? A book that featured the teenage sidekicks of its biggest heroes, and it had recently rebooted that to great success from Jeff Johns and Mike McCone. Marvel hadn't really invested in younger characters to the same extent, and definitely not to the same success. There were a few instances of younger heroes, but they never really had the same purpose or exposure that anyone at DC ever did. The only sidekick was Bucky, and that didn't really turn out well, like, at all. So the story decision to make these characters have tenuous connections to the Avengers I think was both necessary and compelling and a great mystery to sort of propel the series forward. And Elijah spoilers issues seven through 12. And there's like a one shot special in there too. Mm -hmm. Those books talk about like the rest of the young Avengers and how they connect to, uh, to the old, old school Avengers. So it's just like really good deepening mystery. Jim yeah. Chung, again, I can't stress enough how amazing this guy's pencils are. He got his chops at uh, this publisher called cross gen which in the mid-90s, there was a comic book boom. It was becoming like a big speculator market. 
everyone thought that they were going to get the next, you know, multi-thousand dollar issue anytime they bought a new number one or uh, like issue 75 of Superman where, where Superman died or issue 500 of Batman uh, where the new Batman Asriel sort of premiered. And so everyone was like buying these things like they were about to pop off. Like it was kind of like the like how trading cards are now where everyone's just buying everything they can get their hands on. And so CrossGen was like one of the publishers that was rising to meet this new market. And Jim Chung started there. And uh, all of a sudden he came over to Marvel and uh, God, I'm so glad he did because he draws the shit out of Marvel characters. The writer was incredibly important. It was this guy named Alan Heinberg. And Alan, Alan Heinberg was originally a staff writer on Sex and the City and then became, I want to say, lead writer on The O.C. And so Alan Heinberg was putting all of his comic book love into the character of Seth Cohen on The O.C. and actually mentioned Brian Michael Bendis by name on that show. And I believe that was uh, someone noticed that at Marvel and actually got in touch like, oh, you actually like comics? He's like, I fucking love comics. And that was how he became a writer at Marvel. And that's actually perfect, too, because, you know, the OC being a show about, like, teenagers and that, or, you know, a little older than that, but bringing that over and writing about teenage characters. Mm -hmm. So it's not writing for these characters, but having it be, like, written for an adult or anything. It's very well written for teenagers, which is perfect. Like, it does such a good job of encapsulating their personalities. Did this book make you feel younger or older? Like when you were reading this, did you identify more with the young Avengers or did you identify more with Cap and Iron Man and Jess? Younger for sure. I was going to say young. I think younger. Yeah, absolutely younger. So it it, it kind of just evoked that like hanging out with friends like type feeling like the, you know, the middle school, high school days. And no, it it 100% kind of like brought me back to to my childhood. And, Mm. And it just shows, you know, how right George was, how they needed this new generation of heroes because like we just said, we, we agreed more with the younger generation in this. And that's what they needed for people our age to really feel like they related to these characters much more than these characters have been around for 60 years or whatever. Um, who just they feel like old characters whether they're not like regardless of ages they these characters have older sensibilities that a lot of people our age can't completely feel or agree with and that's what's so nice about this younger group of characters yeah it really is and marvel to their credit was doing a whole bunch of big swings i guess trying to like get younger readers at this time they had a line called, I think Tsunami was like the name of the imprint. And so they printed a bunch of books and they also had Marvel Next, which was like another sub imprint of Marvel where they were publishing books in the Marvel universe, but aimed at teenage audiences. And so they rebooted this old anthology series called Amazing Fantasy, if that sounds familiar. Amazing Fantasy, I think 15 is like the book that Spider-Man was first published in. And so they brought back this new book, Amazing Fantasy, and just told stories about teenagers sort of like finding out that they were superheroes really fun book i really like it only lasted 18 issues which is a bummer but there was also a book called sentinel which is basically the iron giant where a kid like finds an old bomb at sentinel and is like able to repair it and stuff and like makes oh man makes friends with it that book is awesome that's amazing that's awesome there was also a book called gravity about like this freshman in college senior in high school i think freshman in college 
uh, this kid who, it, like, in New York discovers he has powers and, like, is such a bad superhero, but, like, understands the need that he has to help people. And then my favorite book from this era, one I didn't read until a couple of years ago, it was called Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane. And it was all from the perspective of Mary Jane Watson. And it was just like a high school soap opera where it was just like her like being in love with Spider-Man, but like having feelings for Peter too. And then like having all these like guys, like Harry Osborn is like really into like it, it's written like such a good dramatic TV show that I was like obsessed with. Like it, it, it reads like the OC, which is a, a show I was completely enthralled by when I was a young teenager. And so all those books, incredibly fun. This one is of much higher quality, I guess, and like prestige and scope because like Cap is like an active character throughout all 12 issues, Iron Man 2. And so this one's like a bit more tied in and centralized to like the Marvel Universe, but all those books are super enjoyable and I will put together a list for the website if people are so inclined to listen. But uh, yeah, that was that was Young Avengers. One of my favorite stories, a very, very important story to me, because again, these were my Avengers. They were my age. They were sort of like announcing themselves to the Marvel Universe right as I was dipping my toes into it on a weekly basis, going to the comic shop. And I am so glad I was there for when they were coming out every month. Yeah, I mean, the exciting thing for this is like reading it now. And, and Elijah, I'm sure you'll kind of feel this too, is... Um, you know, as somebody who's like a big fan of the MCU reading through this and, and making those connections now with the characters that we're already seeing in the MCU and, and my hopes and dreams of like how they're going to be able to pull this off and in uh, live action. It's it's really exciting. And, and honestly, it's the perfect time to read these books. I mean, it, it, it really is. And I, I don't want to talk about the MCU connections until we get through seven through 12. No, for sure. And, and then after that, I am, we're going to go ham, probably do like that. And maybe even make that like its own episode. Cause I haven't talked about the MCU at all. I've talked about a couple early two thousands Marvel movies, but not MCU movies. And man, I'm so excited for us to catch up in the timeline to get there. And kind of to go off of what awesome thing I was kind of petering out on the MCU because we're seeing these same heroes over and over again. We're seeing Captain America. We're seeing Iron you know, Granted, not anymore, but, you know, we've just been constantly seeing Iron Man. Uh, you, that's, that's a lie. Because the last two Spider-Man movies were basically Iron Man in half. So, like, we're seeing these same characters over and over. And this kind of actually helped rejuvenate my interest in Marvel Comics. Because it's helping me see a world away from... Like, it's showing... Yeah, there's Captain America, there's Iron Man, but check out this new these new heroes that we, you know, we have Kate in the MCU now. And like th this is a character I can like get behind who feels much more like me. So like even coming across the screen in that, it's nice seeing these new heroes being like existing mm -hmm. that I didn't know about before. And like I said, it it makes me want to read more Mar Marvel comics now. Oh, well, boy, have I got a podcast to tell you about if you want to read more Marvel. I do. It's, it's this one. It's, it's, it's the one you're, it's the one you're listening to. It's the one yeah. I figured. <laughs> <sighs> well, I think that about wraps us up. Um, Elijah, do you want people to uh, to hit you up? Where, where, can, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at LocoLizardMan. Cool. And also you have a Twitch channel where you're playing a whole bunch of, of Vigi games. That's also local lizard man, correct? Correct. All right. And Austin, do you want people to get in touch with yous? Yeah, sure. It's uh, Austin JL on Twitter. 
that's it. <laughs> cool. Uh, we all actually record a weekly video game podcast too. We talked about it at the top of the show. It is called Frame Skip, and it is super fun to do. I think um, I think comic books are probably like my number one thing, and then music videos are my number two thing. But then it's video games, so I'm really happy I get to talk about video games with you guys weekly. That's super fun. People should listen to that if they are so inclined to hear our thoughts on news and. Uh, now we just need you on a podcast about uh, music videos. Yeah. Oh my god. Where's that, George? Started. Um, I'm gonna cut this now. I'll 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 say it after because I actually I have a plan for that. Actually, we'll we'll talk. About oh, that after, but oh. I, don't, I don't want it recorded because I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to give away the farm. Uh, if you are listening, if you've made it this far into the podcast, that means you know how to find this podcast, which means you know how to tell people how they can find this podcast. By the time you're hearing this. Shortbox Summary is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Deezer, Amazon, and Reason FM. I'm so bored. I just looked up every possible Look, podcast I mean, service. I I've got to ask, what the hell is on. Deezer? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. Marty <laughs> brought up that same question when we recorded our X-Men episode. I don't know. I just went to an RSS <laughs> website because I'm still trying to understand like what it actually does. And uh, it was just like, oh, hey, this is a podcast app that's really popular. I'm like, yes, if you hey, say so, I, sure. I actually know about Deezer. Really? Yeah. Deezer nuts. Deezer, yeah, there it is. Okay. <laughs> that's all I got. Marty, Marty, already, Marty already made that joke, Elijah. You're just, <laughs> Dang it, how did I miss that one? I actually believed you for a second there, Elijah, that you knew what Deezer was. Oh, man. Day late and dollar <laughs> short, Elijah. Darn it. Keep your toilet jokes in the toilet, man. Uh, if you have questions or comments or concerns or ways that the show can be improved, I am very new to uh, this much involvement in a podcast. So I'm always looking to improve the craft. If you have any suggestions on how to do that, or if you have any questions about the books or just want to talk about nerdy shit, hit me up on Twitter at purplebird616. Please rate this podcast. It'd be, I'm really looking forward to getting that first rating. I know we're a new podcast. We're a young little baby podcast. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to talk about something probably comic book related or maybe movie related. I haven't decided yet. I'm making it up as I go along. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Bye.